Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode 209, and uh, this is Steve speaking right now. And uh, who This else is John here? speaking right I'm now. Ron. <laughs> <laughs> and if that's all you heard, you immediately know that we are not in the same room, and we are recording from our homes. <laughs> you know what's super crazy? So I, I, I've talked to people about these episodes. I don't think they would really know unless we told them. They're like three or four right. people that, that like hear them and they're like, oh, you guys did that? That one sounded super sharp. That's the, that's like the only difference, really. There have been a few times where we haven't mentioned it and I've thought like, oh, should we have mentioned it just in case there's any awkwardness? Right, right. So yeah, we don't have to say that, but we're admitting it up front because if we talk over each other, that's uh, not because we're rude. Well, we are rude, but that's not why. It, it's, it's because we're not in the same room. We've got no visual cues as to who's speaking or when they're done. Mm. It's crazy town. Very true. But this is going to be a sort of a catch-up episode, and we haven't really done one of these in a while. I, I think we've talked about a few new movies over the last few months, but I feel like they've all been big tentpole releases like Justice League or or Thor, Ragnarok, or Black Panther. So this will be the first time to kind of catch up on the general movies we've been seeing new this year. And I had a few little bits of news that are slightly topical. But what's up with you guys uh, in general? Been seeing a lot of stuff? Not at all. Not for me. Yeah. I have not been seeing much at all. Yeah, I'm about the same. I mean, I've, I've started to see a little more recently, just trying to get out to some screenings. And I caught up on a couple movies like from end of 2017 that I didn't get to see. Um, not really movies like that are in the conversation for the awards this weekend, the Academy Awards, which will be Sunday. Just some random movies that I just wanted to catch up on um, that I didn't get to see around the holidays. But I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to be a little more on top of it, seeing trying to see maybe a movie a week or something like that if it averages out that way. Um, just to try to keep up. But there's definitely some that I haven't seen in the re- past couple weeks uh, that are on my radar for possibly this weekend or i don't know an open night next week maybe um but yeah 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 i've, I've, I've been able to see a couple of movies prior to release which uh is nice to just be ahead of the game again like i used to be but it's it's been a little bit of a challenge recently so banking a couple of movies that i've seen that have come out or that are coming out in a week or two has been good because i know i'm free those weeks to not fall behind even further but um. Yeah, man, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at right now. How about you, John? One of the topics I actually kind of wanted to talk about as a news item, but it's related to a few movies you may have seen, is this new sort of trend of Netflix acquiring these studio pictures that are maybe not the type of movies that the studio has a lot of confidence once they see what they've got. Mm, and so they right, kind of right, dump right. it out on Netflix. That happened recently with the, the Cloverfield Paradox. And it also happened to some extent with Annihilation. The plan for theatrical release was intact in the U.S., but the international rights went to Netflix. So everywhere right. except for the U.S. and Canada, I think, it is it is coming out on Netflix in a couple weeks. Whereas in the States, it's in the theaters for a few weeks, and then who knows when it'll be on Netflix. Oh, wow. It's just an interesting thing that that Netflix is taken on this sort of sub brand of these these genre pictures that that maybe studios don't have faith in, and then there's this other movie Mute that I don't know if you've seen, but it's Duncan Jones's new movie, and it kind of fits into that model. I actually saw it. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. I did see it. What do you think of Mute? This is an argument for things going straight to Netflix. I mean, it 
it had all the visuals that you would expect from like a, a high-end movie but something about the story just seemed a little missing i don't know i think that mr skarsgård's a very good actor but it just didn't feel like he had enough to kind of he emotes very well as a mute person uh but the movie in general just didn't feel good enough to warrant this gimmick that he was kind of working on throughout the whole movie so i don't, I don't know how you felt how'd you feel about it remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about black panther and we said that that movie had pacing issues Mm-hmm. Um, now that I've seen Mute, I don't think Black Panther had pacing issues at all. <laughs> yeah, I, Mute, exactly. Mute has pacing issues out the wazoo. It is, it is, it is like a production design in search of a real story hook, and it's got some great actors doing some interesting things, like Justin Theroux and Paul Rudd are both interesting and doing everything they can with this really weird material that they have. And I don't know that the movie ever quite settles on why we care about these kind of grimy characters. Um, and there's, you know, there's twists and turns and there's really interesting things going on, but it just, it overall didn't click for me because I really think in a weird way, this movie represents a certain amount of wasted potential. Why does everybody's future look like Blade Runner? Well, it is weird that this is like right in that vein. Why is it? It does have some things that set it apart, I think, but it is, it is very derivative, uh, in that sense. And it's very noir influenced, you know? Yeah, yeah. I read somewhere that Duncan Jones developed it and wrote it originally as just a, a noir, like a thriller, and then turned oh. it into a futuristic piece because he wanted it to cross over with Moon, uh. which this movie does indicate that it takes place in the same universe as Moon, which is an interesting twist, but it doesn't really do anything interesting with that idea. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think about Duncan Jones's career trajectory uh, as a whole? Mm. You know, he did he did Moon, and then he did Source Code, and he did Warcraft, and then this. That's two bad movies in a yeah, row. Yeah, a big bad movie. <laughs> yeah, I like I like Source Code and Mute a lot. I mean, Source Code and Moon a lot, especially Moon. Right, right. That larger statement, though, about the Netflix production model and what it means to these small genre films, what do you think of that? Do you think ultimately it's cool that these movies have a home, or do you think, in a weird way, it dilutes Netflix's brand if all the movies it has are these sort of wounded films, <laughs> you know, that, that just need a place to come out? <sighs> I mean, my take on it is basically is similar in line to kind of how Netflix got going with just what they offered with television content. Also, like whether it was original content or stuff they picked up, um, I think all they all they are really trying to do when they're doing this is create relationships with these filmmakers so that they become a place where these filmmakers will bring future content. I mean. I think Clover Parad- uh, Cloverfield Paradox is an example of, you know, having a relationship now with J.J. Abrams and um, with Bad Robot and things like that. And I, I don't know. I feel like there's a question a lot about the quality of these movies that they're making, um, the original productions. And obviously a lot of people are watching these movies still. I think Netflix is still kind of trying to find the sweet spot of, you know, what they're doing in terms of original productions that... They start with from the beginning in terms of what their budgets are and then, you know, finding films to acquire after the fact. Like the, another one that you didn't mention was um, Universal had that movie Extinction with Michael Pena and Lizzie Kaplan, which is like a sci-fi action thriller um, that they kind of pushed back a couple times. And then back in December, they pulled it off the release calendar altogether. And then Netflix picked it up earlier this month. And plans to put it out sometime later this year. Um, but I don't know. I just think 
I think it's a way for them after the fact to just continue adding original content because eventually, you know, all these sweet deals that they have with studios for licensing their movies and things like that, that you know, it's going to it's going to thin out quite a bit over the next 5 years, you know, when these other studios start to try to figure out their own content delivery systems. So, I don't know. I I, I don't see it as a bad thing. I don't see it diluting the brand. I don't see it hurting Netflix at all. Um, because it's just, it's just more options for the people that are paying to subscribe. I mean, it's them going out and trying to build a catalog of original content that, you know, a consumer could stay with, uh, even if a lot of other titles got pulled out of Netflix movies, you know, specifically that since we're, we're talking about the movies, what I'm trying to say is, is that it's so early in them trying to do this that I don't think anybody's really seeing the end game that they probably are like five steps ahead on because I think all they're trying to do is get content, own content in perpetuity and have these relationships with filmmakers that are just starting. And I think that's going to pay off huge in the end for them. Yeah. You're right because Cloverfield Paradox, uh, now they're in business with JJ Abrams, you know, uh, bright. Now they're in business with Will Smith, uh, right. you know, so, so there are some, some very possibly bankable things that it's just we don't know what bankable means for Netflix. Yeah. And I almost apologize for phrasing it as diluting the brand. That was kind of a douchey way to say it. You're probably right that over time, enough of these movies will come out that it won't seem like we're looking at a trend. We'll just be looking at a giant catalog of material. Yeah. yeah. Right now, we, we have Bright, which which was kind of famously poorly reviewed, whether that was fair or not. I didn't see it. And then you had Cloverfield Paradox, which was this cool marketing strategy of dropping the, the trailer on the night that they're saying it's coming out, you know, the Super Bowl ad that said, after the Super Bowl, watch this film. And then a couple of days later, when I watched the movie, it was kind of secondary to the, to the marketing strategy. That is a little bit of what I'm kind of talking about with Netflix, is that there's hype, and there's, it's interesting that they're in business with these great filmmakers that you're talking about. And I was excited to see Don and Jones's passion project. Yeah, I like the idea of artistic freedom, but I also love the idea of coaxing that into something truly grand. Right now, what we're seeing is like if you if you ever went to like Hollywood Video, which is a like a I stepped down from Blockbuster at the time. There were walls and walls of these like straight to DVD movies. This is what we're seeing right now when it comes to Netflix. But um, direct to consumer as a concept is very new when it comes to movies. There's still a stigma about the straight to whatever. Straight to sounds bad. I and and I hope at some point it doesn't mean a bad thing. It's just we got to we got to stick it out. Right. And that means we're going to get 20, 30 shitty movies and there will be a gem in there. There will be a gem in there, but we will get 20, 30 shitty movies this year from Netflix, guaranteed. They've invested in these movies. That's why they're popping up. That's why they show up every time I'm going through every category in Netflix. I get it. I want it to work. I'm, I'm hoping that it works. And I hope that it creates a culture of at least some of the movies that we want to see coming straight to us through the service. So I'm softening up about it. You mentioned the, the wall of, of, of uh, at the video store, you know, the, the wall of uh, direct-to-video movies. I, I watched a lot of those movies back in the day, and I enjoyed some of them. And this movie is on par with that, if not a little bit better in terms of production value. And so I, I don't mean to knock it that far. I mean to say that they're shitty films. While we're on that subject of whether these movies are quote-unquote 
quote-unquote shitty or not. What did you guys think of Cloverfield Paradox outside of this Netflix issue, I guess, just as a movie? It's not a good movie. I mean, I don't, I don't think... I mean, there, there's some interesting things going on in the movie, but um, it's a pretty big mess, and I think... It really is unfortunate because there's a lot of diversity happening in the film, like the leads, the the production itself. I mean, it's another it's another win for Hollywood in that sense. Um, so it really we're talking about momentum and things like that. I mean, this is an this, this being a movie that is is one of the first uh, ways that Netflix really showed how it can break the system by eventizing a movie day and date, you know, in a commercial break. It sucks that it it really wasn't more exceptional, but I mean I think that uh, you know it's it's a movie that suffers from obvious um, mishandling, some production problems, like I don't know, just a sloppy script. And I mean honestly, you know, it's weird because like a forty million dollar budget, like it, some of the stuff in the movie looks pretty good, but then some of it looks pretty bad, and I, it's kind of weird because. That's that's kind of like in that weird gray area budget that they don't really make a lot of movies for anymore. So it, it sucks to not see how well that much money can be spent for a genre film like this that benefits from some cool special effects. Because um, some of it looks okay, some of it looks horrible. Some of the performances are okay. It's, it's just a weird movie. Like it, it, it doesn't overtly to me feel like a shoehorned Cloverfield movie. I mean, there's like literally probably two scenes that make me think that or three scenes that you can tell they shot to kind of make this work. And those are kind of, you know, the, the ones that tie it into this whole Cloverfield verse. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty bad movie. It's, it's a fun movie to watch though at times. And I mean, that's really something to remember too. Like you talk about some of these movies that are like the second rate or direct to dvd or whatever they are you know like john said like this is better than some of those movies in a lot of ways and um i don't know just it, it it's just a weird movie it, it seems like there's something interesting happening had it not become a cloverfield movie but i'm i'm all on board with the cloverfield movies so uh it's i'm like torn on how i want to tear this movie apart because i i like the idea of JJ or Bad Rob, Bad Robot, like kind of getting a script that they're into and figuring out a way to include this, <clears throat> include this in the universe because it's a catch twenty two. You know, you could take a really cool original idea and let it be its own thing and see if it catches on, or you can do what they did with Ten Cloverfield Lane and make it an event and and let both things be satisfied. Where you know the script was good and the direction was good and you know Damien Chazelle and Dan Trachtenberg got acknowledgement for something that was actually a good film and and happened to fit into this Cloverfield verse pretty well without feeling heavy-handed and you know unfortunately I think this one didn't work as well based on what you just said about the franchise and the type of franchise that it is is it kind of that you can't really kill the Cloverfield franchise because it can be almost anything I mean the only thing that could kill it would be if the sort of promise of something genuinely good goes away, then it then it does it hurts it. Right. Um, but but you can't kill the, the Cloverfield franchise with maybe one film that is the tenuously related to anything. I mean, there's really not much of a 
core story to these movies that we care that much about. It's just more cool that they're connected. Like, I, I enjoyed Ten Cloverfield Lane, which I finally saw. You know, I never saw it, but before I watched Cloverfield Paradox, I decided I would watch mm-hmm. Ten Cloverfield Lane. And I loved it. I mean, you know, it, it was a great little genre piece Absolutely. overall. Yeah. It reminded me of a cool old... You know, Twilight Zone episode spun into a movie, Definitely. or 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 a, 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 what I, you know, the kind of short story I would read and think, oh, this would make a cool movie. So, I like that format, I, and I just hope that it stays intact. I guess there's no danger that J.J. Abrams or Netflix are going to suddenly be unable to scrape together the wherewithal to make a movie. So you're you're probably right in the sense that it's not the kind of franchise you can sink. But but is is that is that why this movie isn't hurting us too much? Is just the nature of this franchise allows for allows for kind of a clunker, and you can keep moving because it's not like there's a central character or a central storyline that this movie fucked up. Yeah, I can't, I can't tell I can't quite tell what the Cloverfield universe is about quite yet. I know that there's some monsters involved, but it really is very unclear, and that's like the cool thing, and also kind of the shortcoming. So yeah, I mean, this feels like the third Aliens. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like, it, it. you know, I'm okay with this coming out. But the next one, there's one coming out in October, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so I. that's the cool part about it. Because the rollout happened the way that it does, I can excuse this one. If this was the one for the year, I'd be scared for the, the certainty of the franchise off of that. But I'm ready for the one in October. This one wasn't that bad. I know that, I mean, I just shit on mute, but... This one was so silly in some parts. So, I mean, if for a $40 million budget movie and the ship to be as big as it was and them not only functioning like three rooms was super weird to me. I don't know where all the money went. Right. Um, but <laughs> for what it, for what it was, the first like first act was very promising, man. I was super excited. And then once all the like you know, I kind of like the idea that this place didn't have any rules, but that also lent its, itself to just kind of go haywire, and that didn't feel good. It felt kind of out of control, convoluted, and a little, I don't know, the special effects look especially weird. The parts where they were out in space, kind of working on the, the ship in, in, in general, kind of looked like Star Trek, like the first season of Star Trek. <laughs> um, so... But I enjoyed it. I know it sounds weird. Like, I knew it was a bad movie. I watched it, and I was like, this still was entertaining enough that my girlfriend and I were like, ah, this is, all right, I mean, I guess. No, it was more watchable than Mute was, you know? Like, in terms yeah. of in terms of elements that had, you know, I think, like I said, Mute did have elements that, that were interesting and that I and I still kind of... When I think about him, I, I I think there's something promising to it, even even not thinking the movie held together that well. But right. uh, th- whatever you could say about P- uh, Cloverfield Paradox, it does not have the pacing issues that that Mute had, um, and and it doesn't feel as herky jerky. It almost feels more uh, formulaic. Is it's almost like the formulaic nature of it is a little bit more the problem. But it does take some interesting detours and do some strange things. And I think that's what we like about the Cloverfield franchise that does maybe unify all these films is that each one of these films is a sort of sideways angle at something you've seen done before. And Cloverfield Paradox happens to be taking like Event Horizon and um, and uh, Sunshine and Solaris and, you know, these other these space movies yeah. that are sort of different degrees of thought provoking and deep and kind of schlocky and, and B movie ish. And it merges it all together. And again, you know, it's a mix that I can I can sit down and watch almost any time. 
Um, so yeah, uh, it definitely has some watchable aspects to it. Well, look, before we move on to a couple other movies that we've seen, I guess I, uh, this is where I'll throw out the, um, you know, as we have no superhero film on the menu tonight, I'll throw out a couple of bits of superhero news and just see what you guys think. Quick reactions to... This is something I think we knew all along, if you'd been paying attention to things James Gunn was saying about the characters going into Guardians 2. But he confirmed on social media this week that Groot is dead and that baby Groot is Groot's son. And Mm. that he has none of Groot's memories, nor is he on a track to become Groot when he grows up. He will become his own entity and a different being. And Groot truly died when he seemed to sacrifice himself uh, near the end of Guardians of the Galaxy. Spoiler alert. Uh, so I think I heard him say that a while ago, something to that effect, but he wasn't as blunt about it. And I do think it makes it more sad and it changes everything we know on a certain level about that character. But what do you think about that reveal? And what do you think about this general reveal that, you know, James Gunn does, uh, JK Rowling has done it several times where after and outside of the actual work, you reveal something that maybe the work itself could have made clear, um, Anyway, what do you think of that? Baby Groot is not Groot. Groot is dead. Wow. That's <laughs> sad, man. That's that's heavy. I mean, this this does really uh, kind of bring an end to one of my arguments that there's no real consequence in the Marvel world right now. And to see Groot die, man, that, that makes that that brings some validity to the idea that maybe there is some consequence in this world. I mean, there actually will be in the Infinity Wars, but this some some residual sort of uh, pain and suffering that comes before the fight is really interesting. So, yeah, I'm 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 down with it. Uh I'm sad about it, but I think it's that's kind of cool, honestly. What do you think, Steve? I know I had read that before. Um uh, but it, it, him confirming it kind of changes things a little bit for me, but I don't know. I I, th- I actually do think what you're saying, John, is right. Like I feel like uh, that seems like a missed opportunity to make that clearer in the movie, especially like when you consider what Ronald just said. You know, like you know his argument that he always has had, and in, in, in a, a lot of ways seems pretty fair and maybe accurate. There was an opportunity to you know make it clear that a character died, and it it doesn't clear. I, I, in my opinion, it doesn't clearly show that and i mean the, the gravity of the situation is a little bit removed when you know you see baby groot and i i don't know i guess i just thought it was him again you know like or another version of him not necessarily his son uh but or or just like a rebirth or something like that but it kind of changes things you know or i actually take that back sorry it doesn't change things it it, it it does read to me like a bit of a missed opportunity to add some weight to these films that characters can die and and not come back and you know be gone forever after you've fallen so deeply in love with them in the course of one movie but i mean in the end i don't know that it really matters a whole lot because i mean the character is pretty much the same character but going through different stages as a child or an adolescent or whatever he's going to be in the next film. Well, that's what's interesting is that he, thus far, we were sort of assuming he was turning into the same character. Maybe James Gunn is making this clear 
because there's some character development for Groot coming up in Infinity War or something. A lot of times this Marvel stuff is extremely calculated in terms of when the information is coming out, right. when the conversations are happening. Yeah. So maybe there's some reason why they want us to know that for sure now. Because I, I do like the idea that Groot doesn't, he's not like programmed to grow up to be Rocket Raccoon's partner. He could become a totally different character. Maybe he won't be the kind of gentle giant that we knew in the first Guardians film. So yeah, there's ways they can make it apparent in the future, but Baby Groot was so inherently different already that, yeah, there was no reason to assume that he wasn't just a baby version of the guy that we knew. But I don't know that I ever assumed he had his memories anyway, so it almost is like a, a blurred distinction. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so this other little thing is kind of segueing out of that bit of news into just a quick note about the Marvel marketing strategy in Infinity War, which which we just kind of mentioned, is that I started seeing some promotional art for Infinity War. You know, there's cups and toys and things out in the stores, and I just happened to browse some stuff that I saw out at a store, and there was this array of characters, and it was a really cool array of characters that I'm excited are going to be in this movie together, but after Black Panther... Um, I, I, I don't know, maybe hashtag Infinity War so white. Um, <laughs> listen to this lineup of characters. Listen to this lineup of characters. A, it, like I said, it's awesome these characters are together. Doctor Strange, Star-Lord, Iron Man, Thor, Steve Rogers, Spider-Man, Black Widow, and Hulk. I'm excited that all those characters are in a movie together. But I just thought, boy, was it too late in the artwork cycle that they couldn't, you know, they couldn't have painted a couple of Wakandan characters in there. I, I don't think that art was made knowing that this cultural moment right now would be owned by Black Panther. Um, I don't know. That, I don't know if there's much to comment on that. But if you guys have any thoughts about just that notion that, um, you know, there's still a lot of uh, a lot of progress to be made <laughs> when it comes to that that representation actually being a lasting thing. I think that listening to a Letitia Wright interview uh who plays shuri kind of ensuring that the, the the fourth cycle of the marvel universe is going to be very female and very diverse is is a cool thing and infinity wars is kind of symbolic of some of the changes that are that are about to happen you know black panther coming in and his band of you know warriors kind of coming in it's really interesting to think that you know that they kind of at the tail end of the third one and the fourth one's kind of kicking in and we're going to see you know in 2019 or so um some of the some of the things that we've been kind of waiting for kind of pay off diversity more women um this world really having some consequence it's kind of cool so, I mean, I, it's, it's a missed thing, but I don't think they had any idea that it was going to be such a cultural phenomenon. I, I, knew, I think they knew it was going to be like dollar signs, obviously, because all that stuff works for the most part. But I don't think they thought it was going to be like everybody kind of singing this movie's praises. And loving all those characters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think maybe they knew they had a movie people were going to love. I don't think they knew that, um, you know, people were going to demand that Twitter uh, uh, establish an M'Baku emoji. <laughs> which which happened. I don't know. Part of me really does believe that they kind of sort of knew what, what they had on their hands. I mean, I think the thing you're talking about with this, some of the material that you're mentioning, I think, you know, maybe a missed opportunity or may just be a start of a cycle or something like that. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I have, I have a feeling that Marvel had a pretty good understanding of what they were doing and what they, what they had. I mean, this is one of their biggest, well, with the exception of the upcoming infinity wars, but 
you know, in terms of budget and production, like this is one of their bigger movies. I mean, Black Panther, they, they, they went above and beyond like some of the other solo films that they've ever done. Um, I think to make something special, which I believe they have. And I think they're, you know, reaping the benefits of it. And I don't know, like I, I, I have a feeling I don't, I don't, I don't doubt that they kind of knew how, I think they knew how good the film was going to be and they knew how good the film was when it was delivered and they knew what that meant in terms of really kind of making an impact on uh, the culture at the moment and the world at the moment and, you know, the landscape of movies and, and what's happening in cinema. But, you know, I'm sure there's an X factor of, you know, the way the film has been embraced and, you know, kind of gone above and beyond maybe even what they expected. But even still, I, I think they know what they had with Black Panther and with that character. And even from the, you know, the brief appearance he had in Civil War, the response to Black Panther was like through the roof. And I think that's that's kind of what they ran with knowing like we need to make this movie special. We need to give it more attention than we've given other films. We need to allow it to become something bigger than these other films have been, which it has become. And like you said, like it, it's on pace to, to possibly be the biggest Marvel movie ever. And it's probably going to end up becoming one of the top two or three domestic movies ever and possibly globally ever. And that, that conversation is ridiculous, and that's amazing. Right now, it's the 20th highest grossing film ever. It's the 20th, and it's, it's still moving. I, I was at the theater the other day, uh, which was a weekday, and, um, and uh, the, the, you know, there were, they were busing kids in to see it. And yeah. you could tell that there were sold-out screenings, and yeah. there were long lines at concessions, and there were lots of families there. And I was like, people are here on a weekday? Is this an off day? Is this a holiday I didn't know about? Um, <laughs> so... Uh, so yeah, no, I think that it could easily. I mean, it made ten million dollars on Monday. I think movies don't do that in their, you know, whatever sixteenth, fifteenth day of of release. Uh, typically, yeah. what this really speaks to is this issue of merchandise not necessarily reflecting the. the you always hear about toys based on female characters. They won't have as many in the stores because there's no confidence that they'll sell female action figures. And I, I could see there being some weird hiccup in the marketing strategy. I just don't see as much Black Panther stuff as I'm already seeing for Infinity War action figures and things. I just think that's kind of interesting that there might be a hole there where the, the merchandise hasn't caught up with what the the movie production arm knows about the content, you know? Right, right. right, right. Um, well, one, one last bit of superhero news. I just thought this was interesting that this week that Joss Whedon stepped off of the Batgirl movie that I don't think anybody was really that excited about Joss Whedon's Batgirl movie. Not at all. But what he said was, even though he came onto the project uh, last March, so it's about a year of development, that he said he didn't really have a story and that that's why he left the project. I mean, okay, I guess I kind of buy that, but that seems kind of dubious that in a year you wouldn't be able to come up with a story. And I wonder, is this fallout from Justice League kind of not turning out to be the success that they were hoping for? And they're kind of trying to wash their hands and and, and shake off the last phase. And has Joss Whedon kind of become yes. part of that that toxic last phase in the DC extended yes. universe? Absolutely. I agree with everything you just yeah. said. Yeah, me too. And for DC Warner Brothers to not take a read on what's going on in movies and say, well, if this isn't working, you know, Justice League obviously didn't work. And, you know, even with his involvement in it and, you know, if it, if a story's not there and, a, you know, an idea's not there, like, they, they, you know, for them not to realize that and, you know, part ways with them and, I mean, hopefully take this opportunity to find an amazing female director or writer to do this movie which is a no-brainer for them at this point, would be a huge, another missed opportunity for them. 
um, to do something different and exciting and, uh, you know, to give an opportunity to a different voice would be, <clears throat> would be a, a win for them and would, would show a lot of progress in terms of them trying to right the ship or do something different. So, I mean, I went into this story not caring about even Joss Whedon being on a Batgirl movie, to be honest with you. Um, but I'm even more excited for a Batgirl movie now that he's not involved and that I see a lot of female directors' names being thrown around as possible, you know, candidates to take over that film. So I'm, I'm more interested now than I was before. And DC has also said that it's not a priority movie for them compared to other things that they have in the pipeline. So it's it's probably... what was What's weird about that is I had got the impression that they asked him what he'd like to do and he said Batgirl. If that's really what happened, that's weird that a year later he didn't have a story. That is like what you say when you're trying to put a brave face on the on the fact that negotiations, relations have just kind of fallen apart because of, of them trying to shake it off. And like you said, probably want a female director. And he's become a little bit of a toxic figure with... I don't know. I hate to say it, but like he had some marital issues and his wife wrote a column that really made him seem like a, a pretty bad guy, pretty nasty guy. And it kind of was the, the the most major hit to his kind of self-proclaimed feminist credentials. And I haven't really seen him doing or saying much since then. So I do kind of think that it would be especially bad to have someone who has that kind of energy around him directing a movie that people say should be going to a female director right he's in the uh unflattering file photo stage of his career you know where now every time you see a story of him they find the unflattering pictures he's no longer a darling <laughs> that's gotta suck right to no longer be a darling yeah yeah absolutely maybe you could talk a little bit about what you've seen or if anything has changed your mind about some of your favorite movies of last year actually possibly um i saw uh last week i saw i went and saw jumanji and um, the Greatest Showman. And I gotta say, I really liked both of them. And specifically, I really liked The Greatest Showman. Um, I don't know that it would like make my top 10, but it's, I, I feel like it's, 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 it's an honorable mention of some level. Um, mainly just because I love Hugh Jackman. I love just the fight that went through to get this movie made. And honestly, like, I, I, I like the idea of seeing an original musical, like, and with original music, and, you know, it doesn't happen a lot anymore. And I personally, like, file, I personally found the music to be pretty incredible. I mean, I love pop music. I love hooks. I love the stuff you would just, like, hear on the radio. Like, and that's what all this soundtrack is. Um, a lot of great songs on the soundtrack. Pretty great cast. I mean, it's got a lot of issues, and it's got... You know, I see why most critics didn't love this movie, but audiences absolutely love this movie. I saw this movie, you know, this is, it's been out since like early December or right around Christmas. And I mean, I saw it in a theater that still had a decent amount of people in it and people were like clapping and like, it was really cool to watch. And um, knowing that this film has become a huge hit for the studio and for Hugh Jackman is really cool. And I mean, and honestly, even like things like knowing that the songwriters are the guys that did the La La Land songs and that, but that these songs were done before La La Land and this movie just came out later because of, you know, being production delays and things of that nature. But I, I don't know. I really liked The Greatest Showman, um, love the songs in the movie and I don't know, I just really dug it. It was really entertaining. It was a really entertaining time at the movies and, and the same can be said, I thought for Jumanji, uh, I don't really think I, I I didn't really have money expectations for it. I wasn't really excited to see Jumanji, but 
another movie that came out in the holiday time and just did gangbusters and is a huge win for the studio. Um, I think it's Sony. Um, but I don't know. I just had like a sense of like this movie has no business do being good at all. It looks so generic to me at first. But honestly, like I thought it was a lot of fun, man. And I thought the cast was really good. And Jack Black is hilarious in it. And um, it did a really decent job or slash good job of like tying enough into what people were probably hoping for from the original movie and uh but being completely separate from it at the same time and uh it does enough kind of playing into some of that nostalgia that's going on right now uh for the 90s and things like that that was really cool and uh i don't know i just thought it was really entertaining and it's no surprise to me that it's been you know that it's now become like one of the biggest movies of 2017 Aaron and I went and saw those last week. We'd been wanting to see them for a while and uh, just couldn't find the time and just kind of made it work one night and checked them out. And I don't know. I thought they were both really fun and we had a lot of fun watching both of them. And uh, I would I would be curious what you guys think of them. I mean, and I don't know, like it's really cool saying like I love Hugh Jackman and like to see him be, I mean, in two very successful movies in a year and for this to be like his passion project that's been going on for a long time. Well, I mean, arguably both films, but this film specifically, this P.T. Barnum story and, um, you know, outside of any of the controversy that was coming up around the movie when it came out, um, which seems to come up around a lot of these biopics. Um, it's just it's just cool to see him win twice in a year. And I love that man. And he just seems like the coolest guy. And I like just seeing people like that succeed. And it's so different too. Like I love the idea that you know he's like one of the most badass superheroes in one movie with metal claws, and he's like singing and dancing in an original musical at the other end of the year. That's also a huge success, and that's just amazing to me. And that's just a testament to how much of an entertainer and a true talent he is. <clears throat> but yeah, I thought they both were a lot of fun. Yeah, he's he's all about it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I gotta see it. I'm, I'm super. I was excited when I saw the trailer, man. I, I just think that, like, I think culturally, sometimes people get a little jaded with everything that's going on in the world. But I think movies like that have a place, and I think they should exist, and I think they should keep making them forever. You know, it's, it's nice to see something that's like lighthearted and has some, you know, somebody dreaming about something. I, th I think that stuff's really cool. So. I'm excited to see it. It definitely has that, like a lot. Like it's, it, and it does get cheesy at times, which is what I was talking about a little earlier. But it's got so much like positivity and inspiration and motivation, and just like, you know, even among the moments that we're in right now, there's there's just you know, talks of you know, there's com conversations about inclusion and you know, being on the outside looking in and just things like that. And I mean, yeah, it's a it's a glitzy musical, but um, some of the CG in it's really bad though, which is really weird, but. Um, I don't know. It's it's like it's got like these great musical numbers, and I, in my opinion, and like listen, and I, I don't really get many film soundtracks or listen to them regularly, but I've found myself listening to a few of these songs from the soundtrack over the last week that um that were really good. I mean, like Rebecca Ferguson's in it. You know, she's really good, and the song she sings in the movie I think is incredible. And uh, Zac Efron and Zendaya have a song in it that's really good. I think that song's actually on the radio right now. It's like a top. It's in like the top twenty or thirty on U.S. pop stations, um, 
but it's interesting. I mean, it's 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 a it's a it's a very crowd pleasing original musical, um, which you know they don't really happen a lot. So it was cool to be able to see that in the theater while it was still around. Cool. Yeah, I've I've heard people say that the songs were infectious. Even people that seem to be bashing the movie. Yeah. Well, I will actually do as much of a, a quick take on the movies that I saw because I don't want to get too overlong since I don't think you guys have seen any of the ones that I mentioned. Um, first up, I want to mention that Annihilation, which was a movie that I was really excited about. We talked about it a little bit earlier. It's kind of release strategy. Uh, it's written and directed by Alex Garland. It's his kind of follow up to Ex Machina. Now, um, it did not do great at the box office for this type of film, but again, we're still in a universe that's being dominated by Black Panther. It had a very solid cast. Uh, 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 the visuals are really cool. There's there's a lot of CGI in this movie being used to create things that it kind of gets around the fact that they didn't have 200 million bucks by making the visuals just off-putting and alien and weird, and you would never feel like you're in our world sort of you sort of feel like you're in this different place where even the air is a little different and they do a good job of create creating things that just bend your mind when you're looking at them everything from animals and plants that are kind of merging to these kind of alien creatures that are that are uh, indescribable right. and and that are doing things that are completely impossible to understand and and it's horrifying and and amazing at the same time and it captures a lot the the book it's based on um, it captures a lot of the tone of the book, but it's very different from the plot. It, it, it tries to tell a more complete story. The book is actually the first part of a trilogy, but I think Alex Garland, when he wrote his screenplay, he only had the manuscript of the first book, and he did not read the, the next two books in the trilogy because he didn't want it to affect his movie. And he said he didn't want to make a movie that set up sequels because he had the experience when he wrote Dread of they thought they had a franchise and there were things they kind of held back for a sequel and he found that frustrating and so he he wanted to develop the movie separate from this the the right. books so i don't know where they would go if they were to try to sequelize it but i don't know if it did well enough to warrant it hmm. so i would i would recommend it if people are interested in that type of movie if it sounds like your type of thing i think it's going to be in theaters here in the states maybe for another couple of weeks and then who knows when it will be uh, on netflix here but internationally it should be on netflix in a couple of weeks and you can watch it uh, anytime you want <laughs> Second up, real quick thought. I just want to say Paddington 2 is every bit as good as the first Paddington, if not a little better. I love the first one. If we call Paddington a comedy, then this is the rare comedy sequel that is actually better or as good. Um, the, the cast are all excellent. Sally Hawkins and Hugh Bonneville and Ben Wishaw, who are returning, are all great. But Brendan Gleeson and Hugh Grant, who are new in this, are fantastic. And they, they are having the fun that you would be having if you knew you were in a great Paddington movie. You know, it's like... <laughs> Everybody's so delighted to be there, and Hugh Grant just chews the scenery and and does something so interesting with with everything we think about Hugh Grant and and also everything we think about this world. He's a great follow up to the villain that Nicole Kidman played in the in the first movie. Just this great mustache twirling turn. You know, actors love coming into these types of movies. I think and playing a meaty role. And uh, Hugh Grant, it's one of my favorite performances I've seen him do. Right. Um, not to always talk about box office, but this movie cost $40 million and made $213 million. So I think there's no doubt we'll see a Paddington 3. Uh, but I'm a little worried that director Paul King won't come back. I think one of the things that made this movie excellent was the same creative team coming yeah. back. So tonally, it just fit right in with the first one. And it didn't have to do the world building the first one did. So it was able to jump right into this world of these just offbeat characters, you know. 
Um, so I hope he sticks around for whatever they do with this next, but it's, it's a great film. And then last but not least, I want to talk about a movie that I didn't really know if I expected much from it, but I was really impressed with how funny Game Night was. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Steve, it's got jokes and characters and stakes and payoffs. And it does move at a pretty good clip at an hour and 40 minutes, I believe. It does not overstay its welcome. It does have a few moments in it that are sort of like comedy logic takes over instead of sort of thriller logic. If it's an action comedy thriller, it plays much more towards the comedy angle of that. Right. It's a great use of these actors that we've enjoyed seeing before. Jason Bateman, it's, it's one of the best things he's done. Rachel McAdams, who I really like, is great in this. Kyle Chandler is funny as hell, and I don't think I've seen him play like a funny sleazebag before, but in this movie, he does. And it's just full of great little character bits and surprises and turnarounds, and it might have a few too many plot reversals or twists, but because, like I said, it's running on comedy fumes, not regular real-world fumes, right. it... Um, it, it gets through those moments where they kind of, they get to joke about the fact that the story is crazy and that they, that there's twists and turns. And it's designed to be sort of a riff on David Fincher's The Game. Yeah. It's a world of shifting realities and possibilities and the characters don't really know what they're experiencing quite. They do a good job of kind of paradising movies like that and also making, like I said, just a, a fresh new comedy. I think the last comedy I saw that made me feel this much like... Oh, I've got to see that again. Um, it was uh, Neighbors, the first one. Wow, that's great. I really don't want to oversell this movie. This is a movie that looked like it could have been a C that turned out to be a high B and maybe even higher than that. It, it's probably one of my favorite movies I've seen recently, like this year at least. Wow. And wow. I don't know if I'll feel that way in a few months. You just failed at not overselling it, John. You just <laughs> put it to the roof. Well, I just mean in a, in, a, in a year where I've seen Paddington 2, Annihilation, and Game Night, and I liked all of them. Yeah. This just feels like a really crafted film. It's worth mentioning that it's directed by John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, who are the screenwriters of Spider-Man Homecoming. Yep. So they didn't write this, but they directed it. It's written by a guy named Mark Perez. I noticed it's already made back most of its budget. I just want to say, this is me speaking in all caps, please, Hollywood, no mediocre at best sequel to this. Just let it be a comedy. <laughs> I, I don't want to find out that there's a Game Night 2 coming, uh... even though there could be one. I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. Uh, I think I have a chance uh, to see it with my wife this weekend definitely leave the kids home for this one no funny as hell the whole theater was just kind of tittering throughout you know it was one of those movies that sounds good Whew. that's it for me game night paddington 2 annihilation what about you ronald um i rewatched i Tanya. um a blu-ray copy this time the cgi is horrific still the movie <laughs> is still incredible <laughs> cgi you start to notice a little more with the sharper image yeah um i saw my friend dahmer uh, which came out last year, about kind of the formative years of Jeffrey Dahmer. Really good movie, man. It just feels like a slice of life sort of chunk of this kid's life bef when you could see he's turning into something uh, unmanageable. And it's, it's a really... It plays with the idea that you know what he's capable of, and he kind of corners people in these social situations where you swear he's going to chop them in two, but doesn't really happen. It's just before all that stuff kind of happens. Um, I saw Whitney Cummings, The Female Brain, uh, which is about the neuroscience of like sexes, which is based on a book that was turned into a comedy. Uh, it's not as bad as Rotten Tomatoes says. It's like sitting at 29% right now. It's not that bad. It's it's worth checking out. Um, and then two things that I saw that were on streaming services, uh, Chris Rock's Tambourine, 
which is an incredible piece of comedy. Um, and then I saw um, t- uh, Before Anything, the story of Cash Money, which is one of <laughs> Apple Music's first full-length features that they're kind of pushing out, which is a documentary about the hip-hop label Cash Money's leader, uh, Baby Baby Williams is his name. Um, it's actually pretty well done. Uh, it takes place in uh, kind of New Orleans area, kind of retracing how this guy kind of got the, the wherewithal to start a business. Uh, so that's, I mean, it's interesting to see that Apple's slowly starting to push out original content, and I'm curious to see where it goes. They are so far behind any service right now. It is, Apple Music has a very bad interface, um, which translates to everything from the phone to the Apple TV. And I'm an Apple head. Like, I love Apple stuff. And it just, they need to improve it. But I, this this is a promising thing. I like the documentary, and I'm curious to see what they have coming next. So that's about it for me. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in that Apple entering into original content thing. It feels very preliminary, and it does yeah. feel kind of late to the game. But it also doesn't seem like Apple does anything that they don't pump a lot of money into and do seriously. So I don't Dude, know. I don't know. You, you wait. Like, end of this year, 2019, they're going to make a huge statement. I'm looking forward to it because they they have it. signed so much stuff in the last like month and a half, like mm. like like straight to order series orders. Like they just gave M Night Shyamalan a film a series to order. Yeah, Reese Witherspoon has a series to order. I mean, there's her production company. I mean, like they you're right, they're late to the game, but like they've announced. I forget what the number was. Uh, how much? How many billions of dollars they've invested in original content for the next eighteen months? And like. Next year, it's going to be pretty insane, I think. Mm. Well, we all worked for Apple. Yeah. It isn't what Apple does well. Wait and see what people want and need and yes. what's working, and then go and hammer it into some kind of shape that people can't resist. I mean, I'm, I'm saying that not as a, as a Kool-Aid drinker, but just as a, that's sort of the official story of Apple, is that they, they, they aren't the first to market with a, a product sometimes, but they, they, they come up with the perfect, ver- shiny version of yeah. it. Yeah. You just know they're not going to fuck around. Yeah, like they, there's definitely a huge push. I was listening to, I don't know if you ever, I, don't, I think, I, I don't know if I mentioned it to you guys or not. There's a podcast I really am, I've gotten into called The uh, Business Wars. They like, uh, it's from Wondery. Wow. They do like these five or six episode series where they like examine like some of the biggest like corporate showdowns in American business history. The first series was Netflix versus Blockbuster. And it's, it's amazing. It's it's so good. You should listen to it if anybody is interested out there listening to another great podcast. And they, they just started a new series this this week for Nike versus Adidas. Oh wow! And uh, they're really great. But in the episodes for the Netflix blockbuster one in the in the epilogue, they um, did an interview with an analyst, a media analyst who follows all this stuff. And like that was his big takeaway was that like Apple is late to the game, but They've made such a huge push, and they're so well connected with industry already, even though they are not in it. You know, just through you know people using Apple products in Hollywood so much that there's like a want to be associated with them, and like all these all these productions that are going into production this year will, will all be coming out. You know, end of 2018, first second quarter of 2019, and that 
it's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a, a I don't want to say game changer, but I mean they're gonna make a mark in terms of their presence and and who they're working with and what they're putting out. We'll be lucky to have some great content, but I, at the moment I have so much great content, I'm never gonna catch up with even a fraction of it anymore. I know, I know. I used to think there was a way to watch everything good, but I don't think so anymore. <laughs> it's it's not going anywhere, so you can get to it later. If I ever get to be like a um a brain in a jar, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe I'll get a chance. If if the Matrix ever happens, you know, you know those little pods they were in in the Matrix. Yeah. yeah. What if they just gave them iPads? There you go. <laughs> The Wachowskis didn't know about that when they, they when they made the Matrix. They didn't need the fake reality. They could have just said, "Give them a little little uh, handheld device, and then you could <laughs> stick them in a pod, and they wouldn't mind." That's why you can't reboot the Matrix. I did want to mention one more movie I saw just before we get going. Um, it kind of circles back to this the beginning of the podcast is in terms of like us talking about Netflix and some of their original content. Um, a movie I did see that I really liked that I think is like a, a step in the right direction for Netflix originals, especially in genre, is um, David Bruckner's The Ritual. Oh. Um, I, I don't know if either of you had a chance to watch it or not. It's uh, got Rafe Spall. Yes, in it. I did see that, Steve. I did watch that. Did you like it? That was not bad. Yeah. I did. I was surprised how much I liked it. You know what I liked about it? I, I love watching... I love watching British character actors do sort of genre yes, stuff and do horror, yes. especially. And it is kind of a horror thing. I thought the atmosphere was great. I think it just kind of petered out at the very end. It kind of felt like it needed more of a, of a punch. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. So often in these types of horror films, there's a kind of backstory that's tragic that has put the characters in a in a situation you know there's always like a, a child that died or a yeah. or a you know a, a car accident the person was responsible for or something and in this story there's a pretty interesting thing that the characters are, are looking back on and one of the the lead character has a kind of regret yeah. that that fuels his storyline and um yeah, really, really had some good. Uh, I, I don't want to overuse the word atmosphere, but I think that's what the movie had. Uh, just oozing out of it, that that really was effective. Was was that this feeling of dread and this feeling of sadness and regret? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely came away from it thinking it was one of the better and more well-rounded like original movies that Netflix has been has put out recently. And um, just narratively, I think, like you just said, like I love you know watching well i don't want to this sounds very morbid but like the deterioration of like relationships when these situations mm. happen like you either find characters binding together or you find them tearing apart and this movie has a lot of interesting angles in terms of the dynamics of this group of friends when this shit starts to hit the fan and you know you you see these ebbs and flows of some of the strength of their relationship as a group of four and their relationships as individuals to one another in different configurations and that's always very nerve-wracking when it's done well and i do think in this movie you sort of believed the friendships yes when the past finally blows up it was very intense but very believable it hurts yes yes because you do feel for all the characters yes the lead who's got this regret he's got reason to have regret it's devastating yeah like some of the scenes are like really really devastating i, I don't know i just thought a lot of it was really interesting stuff and i thought that um some of the imagery was pretty disturbing, and it definitely left me with a lot to think about. But I would recommend, Ronald, I think you would dig it if you checked it out, or anybody looking for like one of the better Netflix originals that they have out. It just came out like a couple weeks ago, but it's called The Ritual. Okay. Yeah, um, put it on my queue. From David Bruckner. Yeah, check it out. I don't know. I think that's all I got, man. Me too. 
Yeah, here. I will say let's uh, let's let people know that for our next episode we are doing we haven't done it in a long time uh, uh, sort of a question and answer episode that we're just right, going to definitely answer any movie related questions that you have. We'll be asking for these on social media and we'll be probably asking friends for them. Uh, so it'll just be a grab bag of interesting little quick topics. Then we'll try to run through as many of them as we can. But please get your question in uh, early and uh, and we'd love to hear. You know, if you want to give a comment that we then have to react to, I suppose that's fair too. But let's just have it be an interactive episode. Yeah, that's that was a lot of fun last time, so I can't wait to see what we come up or what everybody comes up with at this point. Well, you can find us at moviesmovie.com, uh, whatever your podcast listening application of choice is. Uh, hopefully that we're there. Or hopefully we're there. If we're not, let us know. But uh, I think we're looking good in a couple of weeks. We might be on Spotify finally, it looks like. Um, I hope so, man. So what, we'll kind of keep an eye on that and monitor that. Move it on up. <laughs> yeah. To the top. We'll, we'll announce it officially once we know it's done on our page. If anybody prefers to subscribe through Spotify, which is really pretty easy and pretty convenient if you're a Spotify user. Um, but we should be there within the next week or two, hopefully. <clears throat> but otherwise, again, moviesmovie.com. You can listen to past episodes there. Apple Music. I mean, Apple Podcasts if you use that. Um Whatever you use, we, we hopefully are there. And if we're not, let us know, because we would like to find out how to get there. Yeah. <clears throat> now that we finally figured out Spotify, we're going to look at everything else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like John said, if you have any suggestions or questions, comments, anything you want reactions to, answers to, our opinions on <clears throat> for episode two, uh, 210, which will be in two weeks, you've got about 14 days to get them into us. So hopefully, well, actually less than that. You've got about probably 10 to 12 days to get them into us so that we can record it, hopefully answer your question or, um, you know, talk about whatever you want us to talk about. And we'll go from there. Episode 209 is in the books. Good catching up with you guys. Yeah, same mm-hmm. And we'll just, con- I guess we're going to just agree to continue to watch and see how big Black Panther gets, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. All right, cool. <clears throat> um, as always, you've made our day. Thanks. Bye.